Two Cartridge Command, your weekly retro gaming podcast where we discuss and review the classic and not-so-classic games of the 8- and 16-bit era. I'm Nick. And I'm Eric. And this week's game is Super Mario Bros. 3 Part 2. folks welcome back to our continuing series on super mario brothers 3 for the nes yeah last week we talked about the general gameplay and the manual for this wonderful game and this week we are going to start by talking about our personal histories with this classic so nick what was your personal history with this game uh well i i never owned this game but I rented and borrowed it a lot, and I remember I was pretty obsessed with it as a you know as a young kid, and mm-hmm. uh, you know I was able to beat it, but not very thoroughly. Yeah, this was one that I owned. Uh, I'm pretty sure that I got it with saved up money mm-hmm. due to its timing and release. Yeah, I was I was like, there's no way I would have got this until you know I was trying to think of what I got for my birthday in September 1990, mm-hmm. where I was like, hmm, because this game would have been old news by then, so it had to be something else. But the summer before our birthdays, the summer of 90, was this game. Sure, sure. Uh, my best friend and I, we played it every single day, uh, non, nonstop, all the time. We were just <laughs> obsessed with it. Sure. And then when school actually started, I would uh, you know, draw these characters and all the enemies all the time at school. Yeah, well, there's a, a lot of iconic designs in this game. Oh, definitely. Uh, the instruction manual traveled with me quite a lot. Oh, I bet, yeah. yeah. For inspiration. <laughs> I did at some point. I think I owned Mario All-Stars later, so I might have played it through then. But yeah, I did beat this game as a kid as well, many times. And like I said, I had note cards written down for all the various <laughs> right, right. Uh, matching games. So I really, really had this game inside and out when I was little. You know, you had the Wizard and the huge Nintendo Power. Not only was it in the magazines extensively, but they had the special strategy guide just for the game. So I had a lot of, you know, I was ready. Whenever I'd rent it, I was like, I knew what I was doing and how, you know, I'm going to beat this game. Yeah, they had us primed for sure. Then, Nick, what was your more recent experience with this game? Um, I, I beat this game uh, straight through. Uh, although, I mean, I did save state in between levels because I... I wanted to play them all, and I didn't have the fortitude to do it in like a massive five or six hour, you know, marathon session. And that's the difference between you and I. So. <laughs> no, uh, well, I also played through it and beat the game, but I did it two players, literally over the course of one long, lazy Sunday. <laughs> well, that's cool, though. Yeah, we broke out the NES Classic, the NES Mini system, and starting at about 10.30 or so, we started playing. And took breaks for lunch and, you know. Right, right. You know, to read and hang out and stuff. But all through the day, we'd come back and keep chugging away. And we finally beat it uh, in that evening, you know, around 9.30 or so. Nice. Yeah, I was trying to think how long it would really take because, you know, you could beat the entire first level in like 15 minutes. So you're like, well, maybe it's not that bad, but they get longer and more in- involved by far, you know. I'm pretty sure the SNES Classic has a clock on your gameplay. Oh, cool. And I want to say it was about six or six and a half hours total i believe it man all right nick here we are in the general chat portion of our show yes sir and i'd just like to start by saying that i think this game is possibly the ultimate 8-bit experience yeah i mean it's always to me been one of I don't know what else would be in the you know the best NES game you know like maybe yeah. Castlevania three I could see one of the Mega Man's you know for different kind of genres but as far as like actual platforming go it's so good like yeah and then not just in its platforming and gameplay in every category it really knocks it out of the park yeah pretty much I mean I mean all the sprites are amazing the backgrounds look great the play control is fluid and wonderful yeah definitely it's got you know like I've kind of mentioned I think last week I feel like this is the Mario jump that really stuck with me the right. longest, you know, like and all the controls, like you get so many options with just two buttons. Yeah. And that jump is really interesting because I think this really gives Mario his biggest jump to date. I mean, not just in counting the flying part. Right, right. But it's your the biggest jump you have from the smallest amount of buildup. 
mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which really lets you do all kinds of uh, acrobatic work and movement that feels more natural and not as like, you know, I have to stop and then move yeah, from and, here to here and then jump. And getting to use the raccoon tail makes it so much more forgivable to where you're not as afraid or, you know, it's not as risky to try these crazy things because you can at least slow yourself down to land. And while in the previous Mario's, we wanted to run all the time, and you did. I mean, that was just how it was. Yeah. In this one, I feel like they really somehow even amped it up even more. Like, you always want to just be barreling forward at the quickest pace in this game. And that's in a great way. Yeah, yeah. And they... they incorporate that in a lot of ways into the level design where there's certain areas that will trick you into thinking you got to go that way. But then there are, you know, plenty of areas where if you know what's going and you're just like, don't stop running, you can make it through, you'll be fine, even though it seems like you won't. And then, you know, the reverse. So they, they mess with you that way. And I like that a lot. One of the other things I wanted to talk about was the two-player aspect of this game, which we briefly mentioned earlier. Yeah, I, I didn't get into it as much this time. Uh, I remember playing it a lot as a child but yeah for me and my best friend it was a game changer like this was a huge difference in two-player gaming yeah yeah the fact that you know you took turns at every level just really even the playing field of playtime and fun yeah yeah and it took away that like well well, I'm doing real good even though I was supposed to give you the controller for the next level (laughs) I'm gonna keep going is that okay right right and like I said where you can use it to your benefit with that versus mode and trade off your cards or, you know, just your turn if you don't want to tackle a certain level yeah, or you don't yeah. have a good item for it. Right, right. And it really lessens, like, the severity of some of the latter levels in the game. Yeah, and I think that would help a lot because um, since you have to share all the item pickups and such throughout the game, like, that kind of helps you compensate being able to build up a stock of extra men and stuff where, because going through one player, like, you can you can get a ton of stuff. Oh, yeah. And then on top of that, the fact that you don't have to defeat the levels that the other player defeated. Yeah, yeah. It makes, you know, the last, you know, two levels that are normally extremely taxing much (laughs) easier because, you know, you you get to take a break. And sometimes you don't even have to. It was like we always cheered when the other person beat a really hard level. Right, right. Because that meant you didn't have to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, It's a, a lot less competitive, despite the fact that you have a versus mode than um, previous uh, two-player games. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I also want to talk about more of the ephemera surrounding this game. Okay. Because this, I think, was the height of Nintendo pushing out you know, the multimedia brand. Right, yeah. So we saw tie-ins with McDonald's on this. Yeah, I remember that. Which, to me, I think was the first video game tie-in I remember at McDonald's. It was definitely the first toys I remember getting, right. you know. And it was... Uh, you know, there was a series of characters and figures that did rudimentary motions and actions. Yeah, yeah. But uh, personally, locally, for me, it was amazing because they did a tie-in with a local video rental place. And you would uh-huh. get a free rental slip in every Happy Meal. That's that's awesome. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was amazing for me that summer. Uh, and then there was the cartoon. Yeah, I... I remember watching it, you know, religiously. Every Anything that had Nintendo or video mm-hmm. games, I was like, I'll watch it. But I don't actually remember it that well. Like, you know, and I'm, uh, I'm going to be honest. I did not really do any research on this. But if I recall correctly, wasn't this the first one that was on one of the network channels on Saturday morning? Yeah, I think so. It's cause... when it made the switch because it was Super Mario Brothers Super Show, which is Super Mario Brothers 2, mm-hmm. that was on the UHF channels. Yeah, and I didn't have access to that one, so... Right, and then when Mario 3 came out, it was a different Mario show, a different Mario cartoon. It was all cartoon. Yeah, yeah. And it was on Saturday mornings. Yeah, I saw... I know I saw a bunch of it was that, and like Captain N and Mm -hmm. other assorted villains. And part of what made this one so great, which they did change it, I think, for the cartoon, though, was all the crazy bosses that we talked about earlier. Oh, like the Koopa Kids? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this was, you know, another big step for the Mario franchise because it, it's not just Bowser and it's not just nameless, you know, enemies. Right, right. Now we have even more characters on the opposing side of the tracks. Well, you want some people between, you know, minions. You know, right. it's like if on Ninja Turtles there was a Shredder and only foot soldiers. Yeah, not that, not that much to go with. Exactly. Now, I didn't talk too much about the music when I was talking about the history of this game, but it was, of course, uh, all done by Koji Kondo again. Yeah, man, this is... His best work so far, I think. Like, yeah, I, and it, it is a wide variety of styles of music, and not always ones that are you know in my personal wheelhouse of taste. 
Right, right. But they're done so well, and uh, he really takes advantage of every channel on the, yeah, the chip there. I mean, it's a very fine line when you're, you know you're only going to have a minute and a half of a, an actual track, so you got to either make it repeatable or super catchy, and we know which way he went because a lot of these, like, I would forget that they were from this game, and I'm like, oh, these are all classic Mario songs in my head that just, you know, never left. Yeah, I... I will say that's one of the things I ding the remake of on the Super Nintendo. Mm. I don't like the way they, they up the music so much in that one. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I like, uh, and I really like, graphically, this is one of my favorite Mario sprites. I think it's it's he, really interesting. You got the black and red colors. Mm-hmm. And I just love the roundness to all the sprites in this game. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, there's a huge variety. I love in. Pretty well animated, too. Like, mm-hmm. Mario's running jump, where his head slightly turns left and right. You can see that in his face. It's uh, It all looks really good. Yeah, nothing sticks out uh, for me as, like, d- as bad d- or distracting. There's no enemies that are jarring or just don't look like they were, you know, designed to fit exactly into each world they're in. Yeah, I, I will say that when you go down the pipes and he faces front, it, like, reminds me of when you see Simpsons head-on, where yeah. it's just, like, this weird, like, I normally don't see this angle, like, kind of kind of strange. It is a little awkward, but then again, it's very reminiscent of the second Mario. And we, and we talked about the, you know, it's, what was it, the MMC3 chip that it had, mm-hmm. you know, for the diagonal scrolling and stuff, which is all really smooth, but it really... there's I don't recall noting any slowdown from things on the screen, you know? Uh, like Water levels, I feel like. You get a little bit... Oh, yeah, I could see that. Especially the later ones where the blooper has the baby bloopers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And once there's a billion of those on the screen, you get a little bit of slowdown. But it's never that bad, and there's really not any flicker in this game. Right. It's, I don't know, when you compare it to something like Life Force, where you have a lot going on, and it really, you know, this when that's true slowdown. Here, it's just a, a mild annoyance at best. Oh, definitely. Now, one thing we haven't addressed in this game is the difficulty level of the game. Or to me, it's more of a difficulty curve. Yeah. I think it is a fairly steep curve. But what's interesting is that it doesn't kick in until the very last third of the game. I think it's got one of the best. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I was never discouraged going back through. Although, granted, I was playing back through and remembered a lot more than I I thought I had. Right. It's been a minute. But that is one thing that I, I really struggled with when judging it for our final segment was how much of this is how easy the game is and how much of it is just burnt into the cortex of my mind. Right, right. And a lot of it, you know, I would try to go against the grain where I I remember this short, easy path I would always take to these levels. And I'd be like, no, I'm going to try to poke around a little and see if I can figure something out. But it's really like they seem to have really mastered these levels to where I would find even ones that are not that tough, but there's always like this one part right at the end of the level. And you might not realize it till you've beaten it, but it's always like right there. There's a, a tricky spot right before you can win. Yeah, definitely something to ratchet it up uh, right before the payoff. There was one level I actually, there was only one that I did not beat. And uh, when I went back to check maps and I'm like, I'm right there. I'm right by the, the tube. Like I, I, was, oh, yeah. I was less than a screen away, but it's always like right there where everything seems to add up. Yeah, the game definitely likes to throw a few extra enemies right in the final chunk. Yeah, which I think is fine. And um, I think this game has a similar, I mean, I don't know, in some ways less exploration vibe than the pre- in Mario 2. Right. But you, there's still, like, it's, it's not like a place you're checking out repeatedly, you know. It's yeah. just a level you're playing through. But they all have at least, like, one kind of secret coin heaven or something, you know. Yeah. There's always something to look for when you've gone through the level and not gotten anything special. Yeah, and sometimes it's, you know, just items, but a lot of times it's new areas or, you know, side paths. Um, that I That's the stuff I really like to find, so I enjoy that stuff a lot. Yeah, and there there's plenty of it all over. And then on top of that, so many of these worlds have multiple paths where you can skip one or two different levels every time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't have to play every level in every world. What did escape my memory, though, was which levels were which. So yeah. even though I was given a choice, I was like, I think one of these is a really crappy wind level. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know which one it is, so. It's true. But and with that exploration, like, you know, since you cannot save your game mm-hmm. in between levels, which to me is like that definitely adds something to the challenge because right. you got to do it in one sitting. So they've created this kind of meta game where you're trying to find 
enough items and you know the whistles obviously to warp to, to get there to be able to beat the game in one go without doing a marathon session so I, I think that's a lot of fun you know and the the way the locked doors and forts go to keep you you know where you're like mm-hmm. all right you died and you had to continue but you don't have to do it all over keep playing you know it makes it makes the continues a little nicer i think yeah and the warp whistle that you mentioned it really was a whole new different take on that kind of level skipping mechanic yeah, yeah. Because every other platforming game, you know, it was you had to find the warp. Mm-hmm. And just like the other Mario's. Yeah. But this really gave you the control and the agency, you know, to use it when you needed it or wanted to, which is really fascinating to me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, of course, we watched The Wizard. Uh, so I knew about one of the warp whistles already before I even played the game. Right. But the other two, which are a little harder to find, like I, I never, I had no memories of this, but you get clues from the princess in her letters about them. Right. Like where she talks about a thief stole a whistle in the eastern hills of the desert. I, I couldn't believe that when I was reading it. I was like, holy cow, they actually gave you something, not just, I'm going to go try hammers everywhere. Right, right. And even the white block, although that's a little, that, that hint isn't that great because mm-hmm. it says the third world. And I'm like, no, that's the third level in the first, first world. world. It's like. But, you know, there's not white blocks in the level three, so I guess someone found it. And those letters that you get from the princess after beating each level, what's interesting is those actually change, I think, or possibly the dialogue that you have with the king afterwards changes if you beat the airship with a frog suit on. I know there's or, the king in, I think, World 6 uh-huh. has three messages. I thought it was just him. Oh, but maybe it is just the one. I, I That's something I forgot about and. I re-remembered here recently. I was like, oh, yeah, that's cool. I think the very end of the game also slightly different if you beat it with a frog suit or Hammer Brothers suit. That's just more stuff to check out. Definitely. Oh, and, um, okay, speaking again a little about difficulty, I was uh, checking some stuff out between differences between the U.S. and Japanese version. Okay. And in the Japanese version, say, if you get hit with a raccoon tail, you go straight down to mini Mario. Oh. Like, you don't get that extra hit. Like and you can actually see that in action at the in the title screen where he jumps and gets hit as a I think a fire flower or one of them but he shrinks down to the thing I never noticed it or thought about it I'm like you're right that doesn't follow the mechanics of the game right and uh, the opening of the game is silent which is kind of weird yeah it, it is a it's like it's got that like play feeling you know where you have the which curtain I guess and... the internet like didn't understand or like it blew their mind recently that people are like Mario three is a stage play oh yeah yeah I'm like well yeah there's curtains and yeah I mean at and... the end the curtains happen again so it's not that mind bending yeah I mean <laughs> yeah I don't know what I guess there's certain backgrounds you know like the white blocks and those uh-huh. they have like the screws on them that make them kind of look like and there's like, scenery like a little bit of a shadow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, shadow box background. stuff. Yeah, that's true. It's true. And then we talked about it briefly earlier. You know, we talked about the jump of this character. But one thing I do think is very different than the first two is the, the weight of Mario. Mm-hmm. Um, it really feels like he's got, there's like a physics, so, you know, to the weight of him. And you feel it at the height and difference of his jump and, and the momentum more so than in the other two. I yeah, I agree. He definitely has that like inertia that's but it feels very appropriate, you know? Yeah, it feels more realistic, which doesn't, you know, what I mean, realistic is a very <laughs> subjective word. Right, right. When you're a plumber with a raccoon tail, but <laughs> it feels more correct. Yeah, it's very intuitive. And that that weight combined with the improved jump really lets you just I don't know, I, I feel so fluid in exploring so many of these levels. Yeah, I'm very uh, interested in, uh, you know, when we eventually try Super Mario World 2, because I really felt like, man, I'm I'm on it. I got this stuff down, and I'm yeah. really, you know, like, I'm, maybe it's this game. I'm like, does it get better? I don't remember. It's been a while. <laughs> and to that note, it's like when we I was going through some of the more difficult um, castles or smaller areas like that, I wasn't hesitant. I wasn't like, I'm going to jump in this block and wait and see and jump and wait and see. I mean, I was just going. Yeah, yeah. You, you you were able to recover from things on the, you know, on a moment's notice that yeah. in a lot of other games you, you wouldn't, you know? Exactly. And then beyond that, the levels, I think, overall are a little shorter than in the previous two games. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. And therefore, I don't feel as bad just jumping right back in and barreling through again, even if I did die in a really foolish way or a way that felt maybe cheaper than I wanted it to. 
I, I feel like that, you know, like I mentioned earlier with you, you'll have these like trouble spots sometimes, but infrequently right before the end, right. Like, you die there the first time. It, it tricks you into thinking the levels are longer than they are. Right. Because you play these harder levels twice and almost to the end the first time. Yeah. I mean, looking at maps of some of them, I was really like, whoa, this, I thought this was a much bigger level, but it's but really not. But when you stop like, halfway through, go down a pipe, muck around for a minute, yeah, pop yeah. back up, it really breaks up the level. But yeah, like you said, they're all pretty short when you look at them just as the map. But they're so, they're so like jam packed full of things to check out or deal with or enemies pretty much that you don't i don't know it's hard to explain well these levels all have a verticality that we also had not seen yeah uh, the nes so far you either had one or the other Uh, you had games like batman which you know was a huge level with level one Mm -hmm. but it was broken up it was a very slow and methodical pace through it sure where with the flight mechanic these levels feel so huge because at any point you can just fly up into the air and who knows what you're going to find yeah, there's lots of stuff up there, which I love. It's one of my favorite things to check out. You know, what's up there? I, I don't know. Yeah, and I think that was something you did when you owned this game or had beaten it. It's like every level, you're like, I'm going to fly up to the top. And, you know, it doesn't yeah. matter if there's a ceiling or not. I'm going to check every inch of it to see if there's a, a thing I can break or pass through or whatever. Yeah. And overall, I think that really, you know, goes into what makes this game so fun is that you always want to keep exploring and, and going further and further in the game. Yeah, it's the the level design is top notch here because you get to explore a little and it's still challenging, but it's also like I remember talking about say Super Ghouls and Ghosts where you're like this is really this is a really tough game, but it it could be fun if they would just give you a chance to kick some butt. Right. But you never do. But here it's like that perfect line where you're like I, it's at least parts of each level are easy enough for me to feel, you know, empowered and yeah. keep going. And the levels are so varied that in each world, you never feel like you're just repeating the same theme over and over and over again. No, they, yeah, they do a good job of at least layering something where you're like, oh, it's another auto-scrolling one. But this time, in this level, there's at least something different. And then in each world, they layer on maybe some new small mechanic, enemy, or whatever that just keeps changing it up enough every time that you never really feel stale, even though you're working through eight worlds, and each world has so many levels in it. Yeah, I mean, 89 levels in this game, that's a lot, you know? <laughs> yeah, I i mean, does it have a rival on the NES? I, uh, not in that regard that I can think of, you know? Exactly. All right, Nick, we still have a ton to cover, so I think we better get right into our next segment. And here we are in the level-by-level level portion of our show, and as you mentioned, there are 89 levels. Yes, sir, it's a, it's a tall order. And we've already gone past one episode and we haven't even started talking (laughs) about levels which means i'm sorry folks we are not going to go exactly level by level this time instead it's going to be a little more world by world and we have eight worlds to talk about and lots of levels and things to cover in those worlds so don't worry we'll try to be as fun and thorough as we can without going too deep and getting too bogged down in some of these these exact places so when you start a game you are thrust right onto World 1 and its overhead map. Yeah, you're in uh, the Grassland. Yes, it is the Grassland. And what a cute map it is. It's got these uh, little living shrubs all over it. Yeah. And every map in this game is animated. Yeah, and they're, you know, they all, I don't know if it's an illusion, but they look like they're kind of dancing to the music, mm-hmm. you know, the moving bushes and such. And there are six different levels here in World 1, and you have two mushroom houses. And then one mini castle, and of course the big castle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There is a hammer brother here, and there is a locked gate that will be destroyed once you've beaten that mini castle. Yeah, um, and this, you know, all of these early levels do, especially the first one, which you know we saw a bit of in the wizard, but it's one of the best first levels. Really gives you a lot, introduces you to a lot of the new stuff and how it works. Mm-hmm. Like it, give, it gives you areas where you have to use. Uh, the raccoon tail or pick up a shell and throw it to, you know, hit a certain blocks right away. you got that little trail of coins that leads you straight up into the air to be like, hey, come up here and fly or, you know, oh, yeah. check this stuff out. Like, it, it's great. It is. It is very much a first level of Mario. It teaches you what you need to know. It is a very gentle area with uh, bricks for the floor and to break above you and just various nondescript platforms to jump around. Yeah. And then at the end of this, in every level, is a changing card against a black backdrop oh yeah yeah and when you hit that card you receive whatever is currently there a 
mushroom, a fire flower, or a star. If you collect three of the same type, you get a bonus of what? Two, three, and five up? Mm-hmm. Uh, or if you get just a random assortment of cards, it is one up. Right, right. But there is a bit of a trick to getting what you want. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, If you can run up to full speed and then aim at the lower left corner when you mm-hmm. jump, I think that's more about timing than positioning. But Correct. It, it should get you a star almost every time. Mm-hmm. I found this to work about 80% of the time if I didn't mess it up. Yeah. And then I've also read that if you want one of the different ones, you aim for either the other bottom corner or the top left corner. Yeah, I'm not so good with those. No, uh, neither am I. <laughs> but, I mean, this was where I would say the majority of my one-ups came from was from getting these star cards because I know I did horrible at the matching games. Mm-hmm. And uh, I exploited a few uh, one-up tricks uh, elsewhere, but this was you know, by far the lion's share of my lives. Yeah. And then, well, one of those one-up tricks you can find in World 1-2 where there's a... Uh, there's a bunch of Goombas coming out of these, like, pipes. There, there will be kind of like a, a pipe that... Two pipes shaped like a T, kind of. And you'll see Goombas will keep pumping out of one of them. And if you have a raccoon tail and you can keep jumping, and I think it takes, what, eight? If you can hit eight enemies with a jump without landing, you'll start accumulating one-ups with each right. hit. So if you time it right here and you hover down slowly enough from each bump up in the air, you can keep that chain going. Yeah, as more more Goombas will keep coming out. And, uh, you know, it's a little tricky, but I used to be very good at it. I would get 30, 40 lives right here. But this time I was able to get about 10 before I was running out of time and effort and my thumb was screaming at me. So I gave up. Yeah, and then also in these first worlds, you're introduced to most of your traditional Mario enemies. The Goombas, your Koopas. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And also some of the other new tricks that Mario can do, like sliding down hills. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, you press down on a hill, you'll slide down it, and while you're sliding, you'll you'll destroy any enemies you go through. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Um, it's not something I'm usually too cowardly to do that, though. You know, because if you can't see where you're going, I'm like, "Eh." well, they do try and trick you at the bottom sometimes. Yeah, towards the end of the game, but I don't know. It's not like unfair or anything. And here in that fort, you'll see two new enemies for the first time in the Mario series, which are the Dry Bones and the Booze. Wow, I guess you're right, yeah. Like, they've been with us so long, I didn't even think about it. I'm like, yeah, this was the first place, you know? Yeah, and Booze have become, you know, just part of the fabric of Mario, so much so that King Boo himself drives in the <laughs> Mario Kart circuit. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. As with Dry Bones. Yeah, yeah, you know? And, you know, that mini fortress it really harkens back to Mario 1's fortresses. Yeah, I, I can see. Yeah, yeah. It is all of your standard lava pits with fireballs, the spinning arms of fireballs. Well, now you get those, like, the intro, the, the roto disc thing. But, yeah, they don't around. have the spinning arms. It's the roto disc instead this Slightly time. different, but mm-hmm. pretty cool. But same concept. And at the end, instead of fighting a Bowser, you fight, well, this weird one-off mini boss yeah the boom boom the boom boom it's a weird there's a bunch of them i guess or one that keeps coming back and you fight it in every single uh mini fortress mm-hmm. they just get they, they slightly change each time they L- have a, later they start getting like wings or and a little higher jump i think mm-hmm. and they'll put obstacles and you know platforms in the room to kind of mess you up but once you if you can really focus up on these guys you can uh get the timing down where you, you know when you hit them spikes come out and they're they will they will hurt you but right before that, you have a slight window where you, they won't hurt you if you're, you know, overlapping them. So yes. that's when you, you you time your jump so the spikes come out. And as soon as they withdraw, you can land on them again and just do that three-hit combo. Mm. Yeah, it'll take them out very quickly. But otherwise, you know, this is a creature that you hit and then it jumps around for a while and you have to hit <laughs> it again. And then it jumps around for a while and then you repeat that three times and it explodes. And a weird uh, question mark ball yeah, yeah. pops out of it, which... Is you, which allows you to beat the level. Yeah, it crumbles the fort and you can move on. And once the fort is destroyed, usually bridges are built nearby or doors are unlocked or other things that allow you to advance through an area easier if you have to restart the level. Yes, yes. The second half of World 1 brings uh, back the water levels mm-hmm. to the Mario franchise. Yeah, they're, um, they start to sprinkle them in here, you know, mm-hmm. which is good because there are some things to get used to as well. And it's not, you know, a whole level of water. It's just, you know, you'll dip into it when they need to. Of course, you'll re- we return to the up-in-the-air side-scrolling levels. Yeah, yeah. And now they have uh, some, a few new things like the 
blocks that move along paths of lines. Yeah, the instruction manual calls them rail lifts, mm-hmm. and you know they're pretty pretty toothless here, but they're letting you know you're going to see a lot of these later that get weird. Yeah. And then finally, if you make it through all of World 1, you get to the castle. And every time you get to a castle, the same thing will happen. You will enter it and find the king has been turned into an animal or creature. Yeah, this one is a dog. The attendant, the toad attendant to the king, is freaking out. Yep. And needs you to save him. Which you do by running along the ground until you can catch up with the airship's anchor. Yeah. Jumping onto it and then climbing up to the airship as it takes takes off into the, the sky. It's a pretty sweet intro, I think. Agreed. And then you are on the airship. And as we said, if you do not beat this airship, it will now move to different places on the map. And yeah. then you will repeat that process once you have gotten back to it. And um, these are all, all the airships are auto-scrolling levels. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's mostly kind of like Mario Bullet Hell. Yeah, because there are very few enemies on these uh, airships. And the enemies that are on them are for the most part, only found on them besides the bullet bills. Yeah, you got, it's like bullet bills and those little cannons that, you know, the shoot little cannonballs. They come mm-hmm. at plenty of angles. Sometimes there's rotating ones. Yes, and then um, I have no idea what the creature's supposed to be, but I always think of it as a turtle because of the Ninja Turtles. It looks like it has a mask on. Perhaps it's a raccoon. Oh, I, I always thought of them as moles. I, I can't remember what they're actually called. I think they are, and they pop out of these little uh, manholes and throw wrenches at you. Yeah, and the, and the the wrenches are can be kind of tricky to dodge because they they actually aim them at you kind of, and they're very very slow, so it, it makes it harder than you would imagine because they stay around in the area you want to be in longer than than you would expect. Yeah, and there are two varieties. There are like the orange ones that will keep respawning, and red ones that will go away after you jump on them or kill them. Right. And you basically are just slowly working your way through the airship, hoping not to get hit by any of the bullets or get pinched by any of the mm-hmm. walls or floors in dead space. Yep. Um, and some of these, I'm not sure about the first one, but later you'll see more of these airships, you know, as we go, that have more, less and less flooring so that you're doing a lot of, it's like pit deaths and bullets. That's what you're really worried about. And then, of course, just like every level, having your raccoon tail is a huge boon mm-hmm. in these levels. Not just because, you know, it allows you to jump through them easier, but many of these airships do not have any kind of ceiling over their walls so with well-timed jumps and slow falling you can maneuver over large chunks of the airship yeah and then you don't have to worry about getting pinched or anything like that all the cannonballs and bullet bills give you a lot to bounce off of you know i mean we kind of touched on it earlier but in this game when mario when you jump off an enemy and you hold it down like you get a huge boost yes and that coupled with the raccoon tail can allow you to really just kind of stay up and safe above most of the trouble. Definitely a worthwhile tactic through the airships. And then so uh, at the end of this is where you will find your first uh, Koopa kid, Larry Koopa. All right, squeaks. (laughs) Yes, Larry. And all of your boss fights on the airships take place in a separate small room that you warp pipe down into. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just like a little one-screen room. You're in it with the Koopa Kid. They typically, this guy will shoot his, you know, little shots of like three rings out that will, you know, avoid them, jump on him. Um, I don't know how many fireballs it takes to kill them. Uh, It's like six or seven. Not worth it, man. Every time I try it, I got hurt because it's way easier to just bounce off them, especially if you have a raccoon tail and stay in the air, just land on top of them and uh, you'll be fine. Yeah, it's not until you get to the later bosses where they really tend to trap you more in the corners and whatnot. Mm -hmm. These early ones, really pretty easy if you just keep your wits about you and keep jumping. As it should be. Once you have destroyed the Koopa child and it explodes, the scepter it has stolen will be displayed right in the middle of the screen. In a really cool spinning fashion. Yeah, and you can like fall down to to the king then with it in your hand, right? Well, it falls down to the ground if you're a fool. Right, right. But all true (laughs) players, no, they catch that at the height of their jump as it falls down. Yeah, yeah. Nothing more disappointing than jumping early and then falling down with it. The ultimate for me is like with the boom booms is to try to time it when they explode. So you're always, you know, their little question mark will bounce up and come down. And I always try to make sure I'm like, you can't see it. Like if it's directly behind me, if I timed it perfectly. Nice. And like you said, once it's in your hand, you, the, the world fades away behind you, and you fall down through the clouds to the king's room. 
Yep, you have saved him. He is now back to his human form. And what a human form. This guy has a giant cool beard, a split beard. Yeah, yeah. Sweet turban, right? Mm-hmm. And then you get a letter from the princess, and it says, uh, if you see any ghosts, be careful. They will give you chase if you turn away. And uh, she includes a jewel that helps protect you, but it's not really a jewel. No. It's a P-Wing, which it, is much better. Yes, it is much better indeed. And from there, you just walk straight in to World 2, the desert world. Yeah. Although, confusingly, on the map, on the top right corner is a Roman numeral 3. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I assume that was for Mario 3, but the game. But that's mm-hmm. also, that's the hidden part that you wouldn't see unless you, you know, were checking out that thief who escaped. Now, this is a much larger map, but it only has five levels on it. Right. And there's definitely more going on, though, because you have two mushroom houses, but now you also have a spades house, a secret mushroom house, and three enemies roaming the board. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. And a couple places to use a hammer. That's right. I mean, and there are warp pipes here, and, you know, which you can see, this is the first time, but that's a frequent occurrence where you have a warp pipe behind a lock, Mm-hmm. Locked door that you, you know, will that's your shortcut that you can't use now. But right. after you beat the fort, you can't. And I'm sorry, but well, I, I gotta mention that in world one, you can get a coin ship there. Oh, yeah, and yep. you cannot here in world two. But it seems that every world does have a white mushroom house to unlock. Yeah, they're tough and. The worst is when you do one and you get like an anchor. Thanks. Like I was, I was in it for the P wings. People, come on, right, Toad. But World 2 is the desert world, and it is decorated with palm trees, oddly enough, and, well, pyramids. Mm -hmm. As you would imagine. Yes. And World 2 starts out uh, in the desert, but it's a very familiar Mario 1-style level, I feel like. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And here in the desert, we do encounter a few new enemies. Uh, We encounter one of my favorite uh, creatures that I don't know if has ever came back. With the the micro goombas is the micro goomba hiding inside a block or under a block. Oh, uh, they're they're really cool because they like lift up the blocks and jump out at you, and they blend in before you get close. It just looks like a normal block, mm-hmm. but when you get close, it undulates up, and then you realize there's a tiny goomba underneath that then jumps that block, possibly into your path, hurting you. Yeah, and you can you can also tell ahead of time where normal blocks will have a certain sheen or a gleam to them, and and the the ones that the goombas are under will not, mm. even before they start moving. But they're not really that quick to jump out at you. So. No, and once you've destroyed one of those blocks, the little tiny goomba flies out. It's really cute. Very much so. Um, we also see an enemy here, I believe, for the first time. That is one of my least favorite, which is the fire snake. Oh yeah, which um. You know, just avoid them. You can't jump on them, obviously, but you can tail whip them. If you hit the lead fire, the the large one, it'll right. it'll slay it. But that falls into the category of things that are way too tricky for me to yeah. possibly lose my tail on to do. Uh, this, if you have a tail, they're so easy to just skip. So Right, exactly. Uh, you know, of course, they still sprinkle a little more water into this world than you would imagine. Yeah, you always have a, a little bit. And especially, I think, in, in World 2-2 is where you have that, like, pool that's where it's uh auto scrolling well it's not auto scrolling but part of it is where you, right. if you get like i think it's all 30 coins to get the white mushroom house to it okay and then also in that level is where they introduce the quicksand yeah which is a little different than the quicksand in two mm-hmm. there's definitely no secrets under it so don't don't not go looking here. for any not here yeah <laughs> it is just death in those it's just a trap and then the fortress in this one pretty much more of the same Tons of dry bones. This is the beginning is a, another one-up trick area. If you can get three dry bones on the same screen and keep jumping because they will reassemble right. over time, you can get a bunch of one-ups here. And the thwomps are a big part of this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, is this the first thwomps? I don't know if they don't, did they have any in the first dungeon. First, I think four? there were in the very first dungeon. But, you know, thwomps have also become a mainstay of this game. They're jerks. Uh, we have to talk about the strange... Uh, quicksand spot of the map yeah it's a little um it, it looks like a level but it's not numbered and, correct you know you'll see a few of these in various levels and when you go to it you're like okay it's not bad it's just a little you know area of quicksands you got to jump over and stuff like that but it does introduce one of the most uh disliked characters <laughs> in in maybe mario franchise history sure uh, if you were stressed out by the masks in Mario 2 chasing you around. It does have a Fanto vibe. <laughs> well, be careful, because now there is an angry sun chasing you down and swooping at you in horrible fashion. 
Yeah, it's a it's a hilarious reveal because you know it's just up there on the left and it kind of scrolls with you and you're like that's weird and then it starts moving and diving down and attacking you and you have to leap out of its way. Yeah, now you can destroy the sun with a well placed um, shell, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it will come back. Yeah, you get a few, you get a brief reprieve. Um, this also has those weird whirlwinds in it uh, that oh, will yeah. shoot you up if you jump right. Well, shoot you and throw you back, kinda. Sometimes, I mean, there's, well, they, there's a... they grab you, pull you back, and throw you up if you haven't hit them at the right angle of your jump. Yeah, you can like if you're running really fast and you there's a way you can jump and they'll just sling you out. But mostly, I just try to avoid them. Yeah, try to jump over them. That is your your best bet. They're no problem normally, but when you have the sun itself hunting you down. But it's not that long of a level. And then World 2-4 really sticks out to me because it is a level where there's, like, distinctly two parts to the map. There's the above section and the below section. Yeah, I love this level, man. You know, as a kid, this just really fascinated me. And I was like, gosh, there is so much level here. Yeah. And and the only way to get up to the top is at the far left. Mm -hmm. It is actually a little ways past where you start the, the, the level. Yeah, there's those tiny breakable blocks. You know, you'll be like, I- I'm under a ceiling. But if, you know, if you have good eyes, you'll notice that the top left is part is breakable. Yeah, and I don't know why, but same with you. I really love this level. It always stuck with me. And it's just, there's so many different things you can do in it. There's little places of water. You know, you get your raccoon tail. There's just a lot of secrets and fun areas to just go through. Yeah, totally. This is, um, yeah, like I said, one of my favorite levels. And as we go, you'll realize that certain areas with hidden water parts up in the sky, for some reason, really do it for me. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I can't say why. And then also introduced into this game, I'm not sure if it's in the world 2-5 or not, but you get the chain chomp. Yep, uh, a classic Mario enemy for showing up here. Yeah, apparently, who I can't remember who, who on the team, I don't think it was Miyamoto, but one of them designed this after having a lifelong fear of big dogs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Due to a childhood encounter with one on a chain. I, I've heard that, yeah. Uh, I believe it. They're they're pretty ferocious. Um, there is a thing I learned that I didn't know. If you just wait in front of it for like 150 seconds, they will break off their chains and come after you. Oh, I, wow. I, no, I, yeah, I, I didn't. I, I saw a thing where I was like, holy cow. Like, you can see it'll start moving and the chain will flash and then break and then they just come at you. I, I thought it was really cool, but that I don't know crazy. how you would ever see it. But <laughs> Huh. And one thing I also like about the chain chops is they really, to me, felt very uh, realistically random as a child. Yeah. The way they dance back and forth and then lunge oh, at you. Oh, yeah. Like, it didn't look like a normal video game routine of just back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. I mean, they do behave very dog-like in their, you know, way. <laughs> and then before you can get to the final castle of this level, there was yet another strange part of the map. Yeah, you can explore the pyramid. Yes, and there's a little bit outside of the pyramid, but mainly it is inside. And it is full of the beetles. Yep, buzzy beetles. And this is a, a little mini maze of trying to figure out where you need to break walls with that beetle. This yeah. is definitely one that early on you're going to hit yourself with a beetle a few times. I This one, too, I always th- thought of as much bigger until I actually looked at the map. Because oh, yeah. it makes you think that there are all these different paths when they're really just dead ends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but this is one of the first uh, underground levels where you can see, you know, the background has a kind of starish looking sparkles. Yeah, it's really cool looking. But hidden blocks, like hidden coins, the sparkles are a different color where you can hit them. Oh. So you can see them beforehand. Like, you know, I think there's only one or two in the, in this particular one. But later, that can be a useful technique. Definitely. If you make it through there, well, you can go on that little special path to the right if you still have a hammer. Yeah, use a hammer in the top right. And then you'll have an extra guy to fight and a, another special shop to go to. Yeah. But otherwise, it's time to just go to the castle and find out that this poor, poor king has been turned into a giant spider. Yeah. Um. You know, I was just thinking now, in the Mario All-Stars, the kings are all turned into enemies, right? From actual, like, I feel like I remember this yes. guy being one of those uh, crawlers from Mario 2. Yes, in Mario All-Stars, instead of being creatures, they are just enemies of the land, which is lazy. Yeah. Because these creatures are all kind of fun in their own right. Yeah, so it's time to battle this airship. Yes. Which, uh... Well, this is the first one that has a lot of those big gaps you were talking about. Mm-hmm. If you don't take the right path, you're going to be on the bottom and then... That is Gap City. Yeah, you got to watch out. But really, I mean, nothing too crazy. Just uh, those moles. Uh, uh, they're rocky wrenches. Rocky wrenches? 
according to my notes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I swear they have a shell on their back, though. Yeah, maybe. I'm not saying that they are moles. I'm just saying that's what I always thought they were. So. And then, of course, you go down your pipe and you get to fight the boss of level two, Morton Koopa Jr. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, he's the first beefier one you know he's bigger and you know the bigger ones you can tell as you when you jump on them you'll get bounced off more and more like you get a a yes reflection and what always caught me off guard is that the big ones when they jump and they do a big jump they do the ground pound that stuns Mm -hmm. you yeah so you want to stay in the air if you can help it yes now again three hits it is destroyed does he he doesn't shoot out anything crazy does he I don't think so. It's just more blasts, and mm-hmm. I think he jumps around. I think most of the difficulty comes from you're starting to see, like, he has, like, a hill in his room to mess with you as you jump. Yes, so. he does. Uh, but if you do manage to defeat him and get the wand, you get to return the king to his former state, a nice stately man with a awesome chop stash. Yeah. You get a letter from the princess. It says you can stomp on your enemies using Goomba's shoe. Yeah. Which I found something out about that, okay? Kuribo is Goomba. That's what they call them in Japan. Oh, okay. So it is Goomba shoe, kind of, but I, which is something I never knew growing up, you know? Hmm. Kind, of, kind of weird. And again, she has enclosed a jewel that can help protect you, uh, but it's not a jewel. It is a cloud. No, it's Jugum's cloud. Jugum's cloud. Did you find out who Jugum is? No, I, I, I got nothing there. So. Oh. And then we move on to World 3, the largest map of so far by far this is a full four screens wide yeah definitely if you explore all of it but then again getting to the far right side does involve a few tricks Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you are now in water world and so many of these levels are take place literally in the water on the map so you Mm -hmm. know what you're getting into yeah i will say i'm glad it's not a hundred percent underwater at least you get some island levels in there to mix it up you do. Now, this world has one, two, two normal mushroom houses, but three mushroom houses you can find if you know the secrets. Mm. And it has three easy-to-see uh, matching games. Oh, yeah? One of which you need a hammer to break, uh, but then there is another two out on the secret island. Yeah, that's right. And right away, though, you are thrust into the water. Yeah, the first one's underwater level, right? It is, and you won't have it yet. But you do get uh, access to the frog suit in this world. Yeah, I think you can find it in the in the mushroom houses, right? Yes, yes, you can. Yeah. And like we said, the very first world is all water. Uh, but it's just, you know, nothing too crazy. It's the concepts you've come to know and love. But it does introduce just a few new enemies. Yeah, the, bi- the big one to me is the lava lotus, which are those flowers that shoot the slow fireballs out underwater. Yes. They are, uh, they are a pain in the butt. They are. And then those bloopers with the tail of bloopers. Yeah, yeah. They have a very um, erratic movement that can really get you, especially if you're dealing with those coming from the top and one of those fire blooms below you. This level does have one of my favorite where if you fall down to the left at the very beginning, there's a hidden mushroom down there. Yeah, it's a nice little secret in an area you would think is a instant death, but it's not. Now, World 3-2 introduces a new mechanic to the land of mario and that is a water level where you stay above the water the whole time yeah and there are fish on the underside constantly jumping up trying to get you yeah i think this might be one of the starman scramble levels too where if you can keep getting in time uh what would normally be coins if if you're invincible with a starman when you hit them you'll get another one and i find this one very hard to do though yeah because you're also avoiding those fish well, you also have the big, uh, this is... We're not avoiding them. It's just, I don't know. Because if you're a startup, you're not avoiding them, but you're on a platform that's moving. So it's just a little... Yeah, if you get in the water as a star man, it's over. You know, yeah. you're not, you can't swim fast enough to so get to the next one. you can jump out of water once you've fallen into it, but it is very weird and hard to do. You have to hit that jump button, like, right at the top of the water, you know? Yes. It's, it's a tricky... And it's, I still did when I was a child, I was able to get out real quick. Mm-hmm. I had it down. Right, right. Nowadays, though, I never got out of it gracefully. And if there's any enemies around, I'm taking a hit. Yep. There was no, no way around it. Yeah, it's tough, man. <laughs> but this is an auto-scrolling level, and you really just are trying to avoid getting dunked in the water. I just thought it was really kind of an interesting new mechanic they, yeah, they throw um, at you there. In fact, I think we see another one in 3.3 where is the introduction of the the background. The, the ground is moving up and down in the water. 
Yes, and that and then that also introduces that giant fish. Yeah, boss bass. Boss bass, which is not a bass. It's like a giant cheap cheap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it will swallow you in one whole gulp, no matter how many uh, sizes you are or what suit you're wearing. Yeah, it's a it's a total pain in the butts. Um, but also, these two levels are made a thousand times easier if you can go in with a fire flower. Yeah, yeah. Because you can flower kill any of these guys with a fireball in one hit. Um, this, Even the giant guy. Yeah, and this also is where we'll first see those rotary lifts that spin. Oh, I hate those. They're a total pain in the butt, and they start it here. Yeah, and, and basically you, you just have to avoid them because it's almost impossible to understand where it's going to throw you out at yeah. its rotation. Better players than me, I know there's a way to like use it to launch you, but I don't <laughs> use that. No, so. no, I avoid it at all costs. And then finally, I think that's also the first level where you see the blocks you can pick up, the blue. I call them ice blocks because they look like ice, but they're not. And they allow you to slide around a little quicker, I feel like, once you have them in your hand. Yeah. Or it feels like you can move faster. But I agree. I always call them ice blocks as well. It's it's way earlier (laughs) than the uh, beetle standoff levels later on. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Now, you do have a mini fortress in this world. And one thing that is interesting, though, is that there are these open and closing uh, bridges. Oh, yeah, yeah. So depending on what the timing is between levels, you can skip certain areas or certain levels. Yeah, if you're – I don't know if you can plan it outright, you know, like uh-huh. to, to do that to avoid them. I feel like it's something I remember trying to do when I was a kid, but here it, I was... It does make for some fun when you're playing two-player because it's like one of the players can oh, right. skip areas when the other one can't. <laughs> and then if you're me, you can rub it in. Yeah. And like be like, oh, man, that level does look hard you're doing. Oh, well. Now, this mini fortress is uh, underwater a lot, and it has a the first instance, I think, of the kind of door maze scenario. Yeah, it's kind of got almost like a, depending on how you look at it, I always thought of it as like a front and back thing, right. like a Goonies-ish, mm-hmm. Goonies 2, the game, right? Uh, not yeah. the movie. But it definitely involves some exploring because you have to figure out, you know, which doors link to which doors so that you can get the right one to get to the boss. But, you know, luckily... Even if you choose the wrong one, you're not looking at instant death or anything too hard. You just have to backtrack. And there's lots of items to pick up to keep healing yourself or giving yeah. you more hits. Now, that secret area you do get to by taking a boat that's in the docks. Mm-hmm. And there's just a lot of little mini games over there. It's a nice place to beef up. Yeah, and you can go, you can explore a little, go around and check out the uh, the final island where you, you know, you don't have access to it yet. You have to get a warp pipe to go there, but... Mm-hmm. I did see a weird glitch where if you're in the boat and you use a whistle, when you go to the warp zone, you can then move off the island in the water, but you cannot get back on. So if you do that, make sure you have another whistle to warp you back on the land. But I mean, eh, I guess that's something wacky. Something to check out. Then uh, throughout the rest of World 3, you do have more uh, underwater levels. You do have uh, World 3-6, though, which is like an air level. It's one of your first auto-scrolling bottomless levels. Gotcha. And it introduces those, uh, I don't know, they call them donut blocks. Yeah, the, yep, donut blocks. That, that fall away. And they have a very satisfying uh, mechanic, though. Like, the way they last and the mm-hmm. timing of them is just, I don't know, perfect. Yeah. Where they don't fall away. If you're if you're careful and you can jump timing right, you, they'll never fall. Yeah. But there's a, a second and a half. Where if you've been on them too long, they will and never come back. Yeah, so you want to preserve them if you can. But yeah, and like if you have a raccoon tail, you can you can keep them there yeah, forever. It's, yeah, it is quite <laughs> nice. Now, World Three is interesting because it has too many fortresses, and the second one is also uh, uh, the second one is entirely underwater, pretty much. Yeah, and this is where you'll see the enemies. The they're called stretch, uh-huh. where they're like the boo block, or you know, it's a long rectangular white. Yeah, it's thing. like they're inside it and poking out, pushing out. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, they're not too bad here, but later they're put in some very annoying spots. Yes, they then repeat the lowering and raising sea level concept with the uh, big bass mm-hmm. and the level after that. Yeah, and I mean, throughout this world you see, uh, you know, there's Boss Bass, but there's also Big Bertha, who's a giant fish that has a smaller fish like inside her mouth that spits oh, out. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. They're underwater. They're not really that bad, but it's usually like, I think in 3-5 where you have that field of the electro, gelectros is what they're called, right. jellyfish. But and then when you have one of those fish inside moving left and right, it's total pain. And that one does make you really have to wait out the deep water parts mm-hmm. on like a little spike of land. Right, right. 
But you'll make your way to the castle. What has he been turned into, Nick? Uh, he has been turned into a spike. It's a, that's an enemy, the the green one with the shell, right? The one that coughs up the bizarre yeah, spike balls, balls. later. <laughs> it's actually kind of a disgusting animation. It's but. A, it is, yes, I agree. Uh, but whatever, you still need to save this guy. And yeah. therefore you climb into that airship and take off. Now this one's got um, some new stuff as well. Um, you have the, I mean, I call them screw platforms where it's, or it looks like yes. a nut, you know, it's, it's on a thing and it'll, if you just stand on it, you'll kind of slide off. You have to keep jumping and it'll screw it and it'll move forward down the. Which blew my mind when it came out. I thought that was an amazing feature. And I thought it looked so cool. It is a really cool feature. I, I'm surprised that a lot of other platformers didn't steal that kind of mechanic more. You now, know? to note, you don't actually have to use it in this one. Right. It, it just makes it a little easier. It lets you avoid some, uh, also perhaps uh, for the first time, the fire areas. Yeah, the torches. The cannons that shoot fire uh, torch out instead of a cannonball. They are gray instead of black. Mm. They're all right. Uh, this level, this is not the worst airship. Um, but when you get to the boss, which is old Wendy Koopa, now she's got some tricks. Yes. This is the first time we see a new type of mechanic from their wand. Yeah, yeah. And she shoots out, what are they, like rings? I don't know if they're hula hoops, some kind of candy ring. I don't, I don't know. know, but they're big and they, they move around a lot. Yeah, they like bounce around in the corners. They kind of move diagonally and just uh, you want to avoid them. You can't jump on them, can you? No, no, you cannot. Because I think, uh, can you jump on, what's his face, Iggy's balls no. later? I don't think so. I, at least I, I didn't. If, if you can, I feel foolish. No, I, I know. Me too. I just, I, I, when I was watching that uh, thing about the guy getting the, the king to tell you different stuff. Yeah. Um, and he did it with the frog. I feel like I saw him. I was like, maybe the frog can jump on those balls, but no one else can. Maybe. I don't know. Jury's out on that one. Well, if you defeat Wendy, you get her wand, you float back down to the castle, and lo and behold, you meet the king who looks almost exactly like Mario. Oh, yeah, yeah. He has the same face, yeah. Yeah, and he's wearing Luigi's uh, green attire, but his face is a straight-up Mario face. Yeah, he's, he's a clone. Very odd. You get another letter from the princess telling you about that white block. Yeah. and Very vague hint. <laughs> the white block contains magic powers that will enable you to defeat your enemies. Sure. She enclosed a jewel to help you, but it, again, not a jewel. It is a music box. Even worse. I don't know. I think I'd rather have that than say an anchor i guess yeah it may be useful sometimes i don't know <laughs> maybe but then you are done with level three you are done with the water and you can move on to world four giant land yeah arguably everyone's favorite land it's mine yeah me it too always was that's so cool <laughs> and i hate to say it folks but i think this is where we're going to stop episode two Yes. As much as I want to get into the awesomeness <laughs> that is Giant Land and its amazing sprites, we are going to wrap this up next week. That's right. We already beat the fort on this game, so we can just cruise right into World 4 next time we start. All right, guys. Next week's game will continue to be Super Mario Bros. 3, and it should be the final episode of this arc. So... If you haven't played this game somehow already, I don't even know what to say to you. you. You owe it to yourself and your ancestors. You do. Play this game. Play it as soon as you can because it's available on everything you could ever own Nintendo making. So grab a copy of this game any way you can. Grab your controllers and play along, friends. Yeah, and remember if there's any, uh, you got any secret tips or tricks or you just want to, you know, rap at us, you can do it at cartridgecommand at gmail.com and we'll rap back at you in the future. Uh, we are also available for any wrapping tips yeah, or, you know, just fond memories of this game on Facebook at Cartridge Command. I'll let you know when new episodes drop at Cart Command on the Twitter. And, of course, you can subscribe to this show on anything that makes podcasts happen into your ears. But we do appreciate if you would leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or the Google Store. Apparently that makes people find out about us easier yeah so i've been told and we like that more people could listen to our show yeah we thank every one of you for listening but we must thank those people that stop by patreon.com slash cartridge command and give us their hard-earned coins on the monthly because it is them that make this show financially possible yes we have moved into a new studio down here at the cartridge cabana 
<laughs> but it is an hour and 15 minutes away from my house. And we do appreciate all of your help making it so that we can get together and record this show every week for you guys. That's true. So thank you. Thank you so much. And as always, Cartridge Commandos, game on! And I have, and I have, 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 I have